Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez My Best Teacher podcast with me, Dan Worth. Today's guest is journalist, author and broadcaster Samira Ahmed, best known for hosting Newswatch and Radio Force Front Row. She's also made numerous documentaries, including Art of Persia and One Celebrity Mastermind in 2010 and a Champion Special in 2019. She chatted to us about her school days and the many memorable teachers she met and the role they played in shaping her career success, the power of learning about world religions, an eventful skiing trip to Austria, and the day her school chartered an entire train for a grand day out. All that and lots more on the latest My Best Teacher podcast from Tez. Hi, Samira. Welcome to the My Best Teacher podcast. Great to chat with you. I think it'd be fascinating to hear your school stories. So without further ado, let's begin with primary school. Where was that? What are your memories like of it? And again, teachers there that you particularly recall with fondness. So I actually moved primary school about three times. Oh, really? Um, or even four times. Yeah, just because when I was when I started school, we were living in um, Upper Norwood and I went to convert school at Verga Fidelis um, for about a year. And I had a good time. Although I got told off for having a metal um, suitcase for my school bag, which I'd brought back from India, where everyone uses them. Um, and then we moved to um, Kingston-upon-Thames, southwest London, and I went to state school for one term. And then I was I got into another convent school called Holy Cross. Mm. And then my parents got me into Wimbledon High School, which was the GDPS. It's now called the GDST, but it was the GPDST, then Girls Public Day School Trust. And um, I I joined there at the age of eight, so that would have been um, 76, year four. Yeah. And that's probably when I really see my education really kicking off. And I stayed there until I was 18. Oh, I see, right. Yes, I said that's a lot of moving around at a young age, isn't it? Yeah, well, my parents from India, and in India, there was this idea that all the good schools were run by nuns, because as you can imagine, kind of colonial legacy was you had all these religious orders. And so my mother went to school, um, to convent school, so that was her first instinct was find a conference school. Um, and then she realised that actually, you know, there were other kinds and it didn't have to be strictly religious. But the, the one great thing I'll say about having gone to conference school is because most of the other girls were Catholic, I really wanted to do mass. So uh, my mum let me do First Holy Communion. So I kind of really got initiated into it. I think that's always helpful to experience how mm. people live. Um, and the other great thing was that the first convent school because uh, that that one, that all the non-Catholic girls were put into a separate group for RE, and we used to just study Old Testament stories and draw pictures. I learned a huge amount about the Bible at a really young age, and mm. it's been incredibly useful, both in terms of studying English at Oxford, but also, you know, making something understood, the art, the religious affairs programme for Radio 4 Presenting mm. Sunday. But just getting my head around some of these really difficult stories in the Old Testament from the age of about five. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, do you think sort of... Some of that did it sort of spill into other areas of education office? Because, like I said, some of those stories are quite sort of complex, and there's a big, you know, morals and narratives going on. I mean, it, it sounds like to learn that from such a young age in that way, which, which doesn't happen so much. I don't recall doing it to that degree at school. Yeah, sort of a good sort of grounding in some real sort of core skills at an, a, analyzing stories and so forth. Yeah, well, I think maybe it, um, one you're just given these stories without analysis. And I think children are very good at just taking them and then making what they will of them. So the two key concepts I learned was one, the concept of Sheol, the Jewish idea of um, the world of the dead, because the Jews don't believe in heaven and hell. They don't believe in hell. Mm. Um, so there was this strange spirit world. And if you think about stories like Saul consulting the witch of Endor, you know, these spirits sometimes come from another world. Um, I don't know if it's Saul, is it? 
David or someone else's right. My knowledge is not as good as it was. But I do know that the, the, the spirit of a dead king is resurrected by or brought, brought back to earth by a witch um, for someone to communicate with them. So um, I just thought it was very interesting all the kind of great literature there is in the Bible. But the other story that really disturbed me and just, it just you know, just nestled in me and it's always bothered me was um, the, the Abraham having his child by his slave, Hagar, and then abandoning them at the desert and, um, you know, Ishmael and his treatment. Well, you know, years later when you know, we think about the whole, all these concepts about racism and how it works, you know, you can date it back to how that story has been used um, by some Christians, particularly in the United States, to kind of create mm. this idea of, you know, there's this sort of... Um, an inferior race, but also the whole presence of slaves mm. and the treatment of women. Yes. So even though I was only five, I'm not saying that I had a feminist analysis quite <laughs> perfect at that age, but it seems to me that, that there's, there's stuff going on here that doesn't feel right. Mm. Um, and so um, I, I, but I like that about the Bible. It's full of very disturbing and unsettling ideas. So we just, I carried them. They've been percolating in me ever since. Yeah. I was going to say this is heavy stuff for, for primary school, isn't it? But but I suppose that's that's what happens when you start learning these stories. And whether whether the teachers there that you know do they sort of really engage you on these topics as well, or is this something you sort of just no. you found you enjoying I, yourself? I think I was just you know one of those people who I took a lot out of you know out of things. Mm. Uh, I can sort of remember my drawing of Sheol. You know, it's a really interesting worldview when you try and draw it as a geographical space. It's it's a shadow underneath yeah. the world, right? Um, so it just just this ideas in your head, and I've made I mean, I've literally made a program about the concept of of the afterlife using drawing on that image. Um, yeah. So I, I have to say, if nothing else, my religious education at primary school has generated a huge amount of, of BBC programs. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. We've got that that to thank education for already, which is which is a good <laughs> thing. And um, do you remember as well? Then I mean moving between the schools so much or at the start anyway I mean did you sort of find that easy as, you know because young children can be quite sort of resilient to that kind of thing did you make friends easily or did you sort of was it always oh another school now what, what's going on here yeah no it was fine and I think particularly when I moved to Wimbledon High I was just like a sponge just wanted to suck everything up and I remember my mother didn't even tell me about the entrance test she just said one day oh you're not going to school today and she took me to sit this entrance exam so you know it's interesting because nowadays I imagine children are hot housed and coached into within mm. an inch of their lives for these things um, and I just went and did you know some verbal reasoning and non-verbal reasoning tests and then got a place and when I started it was 76 into 77 so silver jubilee year and I just remember all these things that we did like one the queen actually drove past our school on the way to give Virginia Wade her trophy at Wimbledon um, but we did a big freeze of sort of celebrating British history going back to the Romans um, and we did all these elaborate papier-mâché exhibits and we had this huge you know school-wide um open day and I'd never experienced anything like it you know the mm. amount of craft and there are no photographs so maybe it was all pretty amateur but at the time I just remember thinking this is incredibly sophisticated like you know a freeze I'd never mm. even heard of a freeze um and papier-mâché I thought was um a very sophisticated idea although it utterly disgusted me the feel of it <laughs> yes and, and I, I've never done it since no, no, I was not a particularly crafty young pupil either, and, and did not enjoy finger painting or anything. I'm never, and I've never really enjoyed that kind of sensation. Yeah, the like stuff that, of so. that. But the other stuff we did, although it was later, and so basically, Wilberton High it had a prep department, which was in one Victorian house, which is where my sister went, um, which was kind of up to year three, and they wore pinafores. It was very oh. old fashioned. Um, 
<laughs> the junior school was year four to six. So three years together in this little long sort of 60s building. And that's where I just felt everything opened up for me. Mm. Um, the books we were reading, you know, it's the first time we started reading a book together in class. Um, the line of the Witch in the Wardrobe, it was. And, um, you know, the crafts and things we did, we, we did basket weaving um, by year six. Um, we did a lot of Greek mythology. Mm. Um, and, you know, there was a school library, you could go and borrow books. I remember borrowing Elidor by Alan Garner, which mm. is this really disturbing world in that book. And had words in it I'd never come across, like lathe. And in fact, I interviewed Alan Garner a few years ago and I took a copy and I told him about these words, these mysterious words that I, I couldn't work out. So I think, um, yeah, that was that was very exciting. And we yeah. studied a whole range of subjects and went on school trips and things. So the world opened up to me. No, that sounds great. And then again, I feel like I should, I should ask, you know, was again, was there a teacher there or, or several teachers, William by name, that you remember thinking who again was sort of part of that process? Um, all my teachers were good. I mean, the one that I really remember was Miss Stevenson, who was the head of the junior department, partly because she reminded me of Peter Cushing. She had this amazing grey hair and she was kind of, she didn't always smile, but you just knew she was, you know, really knowledgeable and she used to smoke. I think everyone smoked in the 70s. Yeah. And she had this yellow um, aspect to her curl and I didn't know whether it was the nicotine coming out through the hair or just the staining over the years. Um, but she was, you know, one of those great mysterious teachers And because I went, to, this is 76 to 79 that I was in um, junior school. So a lot of my teachers, uh, the generation who came through the war, I mean, the mm. headmistress of the whole school, Anne Piper, it turned out had been one of those women who flew up in Spitfires to test oh, wow. the engines and never talked about it. Yeah. You know, her own daughter told me about it after she died. So um, I, I didn't know what Ms. Stevenson did during the war, but they were all strong, independent women. And Ms. Stevenson, again, one of, there were a lot of um, um, unmarried women in teaching. You know, mm. she would have been in her, I'm guessing her 50s or even her early 60s by then. But she ran the whole junior school, plus she taught very well. And again, RE, it's funny. Um, we had a project to do with her and we had, had to write a diary that like you were St. Paul going on your, your missionary journeys around, mm. um, you know, southeast. Um, Europe and Asia Minor. And I got, I really got into it. And I got into the whole thing that um, Barnabas, whoever he was touring with, had a terrible snore. And I remember Miss Stevenson saying, I will never be able to think of St. Paul now without thinking of him being kept awake by that snoring. <laughs> and I just I love the idea of an impact on my teaching that way. It's interesting what you say about the, the military and the war and everything, because I mean, Tim Vine was, was a guest on this and he had, he talks about that. And he said he had a teacher like Major Metherall, who was a you know, a former been in the war, and there was someone another to you had a piece of shrapnel still in his in his arm, and he'd show the kids if they were good, you know, as a sort of oh wow, you know, treat because the sort of small boys like to see, isn't it, scars and things like that. But it was um yeah, like different era of education back then. Yeah, like that and, and stuff was changing as well. I mean, you know, the thing about the seventies was the World at War TV series did have these people talking about what they'd done, but it was mostly you know, the leaders, you know, mm. or people like Hitler's secretary. I was watching it again on yesterday. It was just shocking, like, you know, these quite young people talking about all the things they did in the war. But ordinary people didn't tend to talk about it still. It was mm. still a, a big secret. Um, and there was also this sense of, you know, I mean, you think about the sort of um, the youth quake of the 60s, which is really being felt in the 70s. And sometimes you just feel these two things collide. So in assembly one day, I remember, you know, Mrs. Piper saying, a gentleman has complained that girls have been seen, you know, walking outside school, eating an apple, like eating, walking on the street would be seen as rude. Mm. And I think 
1976, we knew that that really wasn't that big a deal. And I remember thinking, like, it's an apple. It's like, you know, it's healthy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I can imagine the person who would have complained in his blazer thinking, you know, well-behaved people don't eat between meals and they don't wander the streets eating apples. Yes. Standards um, are slipping, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a moment where I suddenly felt there were two very different generations. Yeah. Um, you know, two different worlds and that old world was disappearing fast. Yeah. And you, you mentioned school trips there. I mean, again, at, at primary, I mean, again, sort of anywhere particularly glamorous or sort of funny or, or again, highly memorable. Yes. Um, the Weald and Downland Open Air Museum near Chichester, which I took my kids to a few years ago. And it's still so exciting. So, you know, the man who opened it just bought up all these amazing historic buildings that were going to be torn down. So, you know, Elizabethan houses, mm. um, you know, um, Victorian buildings. Uh, there's even like a sort of um, a medieval uh, town market hall. And he just reconstructed them. And this landscape and there's things like this old charcoal f- um, um, f- fires to do with the Iron Age and they built kind of Iron Age huts and things. So you have this real sense of how, how the British lived over the centuries. So it was kind of living history. Mm. Um, and I was just fascinated by that Sussex countryside is quite beautiful. It's very English. You know, it made me think of A.A. Milne and all that stuff. So I, I, was, I was definitely finding my feet, my identity, because I grew up in a home where, you know, my parents had come from India, and although they'd been in Britain for 16 years by the time I started at Wimbledon High, they saw themselves as Indians mm. still. And I think my identity was more that way. You know, um, we had Indian food at home and I spoke, you know, um, Hindustani at home, although he spoke English as well. And and it's only through school that I start to encounter and find a new um, mixed identity, mm. which, you know, which, which it was thrilling. You know, I was, I was learning about all these new things, going on play, we did call the play dates then. We'd call coming, going home for tea yes, after yeah. school. So that was a big part of it, going to yeah. my friends' houses and tea would be a particular thing. Um, and seeing how, you know, middle-class families lived in Wimbledon, which then was actually, you know, a lot of it was just ordinary families in big Victorian houses, whereas now it's all um, lawyers and yes. city bankers. Yes, you can't live in southwest London now and on a normal salary, can you? But um, it's, it's funny you say that because um, I had uh, uh, Shaprat Korsandi was on a while oh, yeah. back and she talked about exactly that, how she, she developed a particularly sort of posh English accent through school because she realised that was a way she could help the family fit in more like, out and about in, in the community. Oh, so she sort of had this overly posh accent from school and it sort of sends similar things to you in the way that it was this kind of mixing of two worlds at school at home and then trying to link them. Such an interesting thing to have to sort of navigate. Yeah, and you know, it went both ways. I mean, kids loved coming to our house. And I remember a girl in particular, I have all these old Indian comics, which were sort of comic versions of great Indian literature and history and mythology, you know, the stories of the gods and goddesses. And they were published in English as well as in, in Indian languages. And they were designed for children to learn about their culture in an easy way. And I have hundreds of them. And I still do. My kids grew up mm. reading them. And my friends loved them because I'd never seen anything like them, my, you know, my English school friends. So, and then, you know, my mum's cooking as well. Yes. Um, although there's a terrible incident when I went to a friend's house and I've shown you, just people didn't think. A surname like Ahmed. And we were having dinner at someone's house. I remember thinking this meat is like, I don't recognise it. And it was pork. And, you know, at the time we, you know, I was raised in a home where we didn't eat pork. So that was a really strong experience of mm. accidentally breaking a taboo. And it's incredible. Anyone who, who's ever lived or grown, been raised in a religious home will know the shock of it. And yeah. then not feeling you can say anything. Yeah. And I remember coming home and telling my mom, this is such a good story. And she went, oh, don't be ridiculous. They're Jewish. 
<laughs> they're not Jewish, but she thought they were. <laughs> a good way of, was that, was that her sort of, you know, like convincing herself it hadn't happened and just... Well, my mother's a Hindu, and so she wasn't that bothered. And, oh, I see. Um, yeah, there are stories about secret bacon eating in our home when my dad was away. Uh, but at the time, I had never consciously eaten pork, and so it was a bit of a shock. Yes, right. And, and just, I'm still friendly with Sarah Kane. Good, good. Yeah, didn't 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 ruin the friendship. That's good. <laughs> and then just to go back one on the on the school trip though, because you sort of started talking about it a bit. But again, was that as on a as a, from a school trip point of view when you went there then and going around that must like sort of quite uh, again was that quite eye opening because to see those sort of buildings like you say and and sort of the setting they were in. From someone so young, because it sounds like you were, like you said, you were a sponge. I mean, it sounds like another thing to like. Wow, yeah. you know. Well, it's you know, and also the idea of seeing all these authentic historic buildings all in one place—it's mm. so weird, um, a weird location, and it's it's fascinating. You could w- wander up and and around them. So I, I just think you're encountering a lot of ideas for the first time. You know, how did we live in the Iron Age? Mm. You know, and and smelting charcoal and all the rest of it. So. Um, you always remember the first time you encountered an idea, don't you? So mm. that place was one where I encountered several at the same time. Yeah. You know. Um, and I mean, had, I mean, and museums, the Horniman Museum in southeast London, which had an amazing collection of ethnographic masks and beautiful clocks. I was obsessed with the clock. Mm. There's a particular clock there with complicated um, 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 sort of operations. Um, and, of course, at the time we weren't thinking too much about the story behind how all these objects came to be brought together. Mm. It was just exciting to see them. And the other place I'd add on that list is the Commonwealth Institute, which is now the Design Museum. It's this amazing sort of scallop-shelled building in Kensington. And I talk a lot, about a lot to people because I think the concept of the Commonwealth, which it represented, and which my generation of kids was sort of working out for ourselves, was, was sold as a very positive story, which was, yes, we know it was empire that made all these countries part of the Commonwealth. That's what brought them together. But actually, they're all fascinating in their own right. Mm. And going inside and exploring, you know, the cocoa growing of Ghana or the sheep of New Zealand. I mean, it was just the idea that we had something in common. Yeah. And that was the London that my parents had come to, which was full of Aussies and Kiwis and, you know, um, West Indians and, you know, Indians and Pakistanis. So, you know, that was a very positive mm. story. Yeah, the the Horniman. I'm not. I've not been to to that. This last one you mentioned, but the Horniman Museum. I've been to that. And that's great, isn't it? And some of the, I don't know if it that at the time, but I presume it had all the. You know, it's quite sort of visceral stuff, isn't it? Some of the some of the jars, some of the skeletons, and yeah, you know. and, and stuffed animals and all yeah. that stuff. Which is a kid, I have to say, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. It's proper old fashioned museum. I don't know whether, um, um, that's just because that was my first time, um. But there was something about just seeing lots of objects, and you could find the ones that intrigued you most. You know, and then obviously, so you said this. This was um, an all through school. So obviously, yeah. that that move to secondary didn't have maybe quite the shock that it can have for some people, where you leave the, the safety of primary, shall we say, and you go to a much bigger setting. So that must have been, you know, was that easier, or was there, or was that sense of moving up to the next stage still quite daunting when it when it came to you? I, I couldn't wait for it. So although we were on the same site, you know, we lived very separate lives. I used to see all the senior school girls. They had different the bells rang at different times of their breaks. They didn't have to wear a tie. Um, and I couldn't wait. And I just remember my first, I still remember my first day of secondary school because it's like the first day in an American high school movie yeah. where it's so thrilling with none of the nastiness, just the positiveness of you came and you chose your own desk. We had different subjects in different rooms. There was a science block, you know, where we had lessons in a lab with lab coats and um, learning Latin for the first time. Um, and 
I remember my first maths lesson, which is about Venn diagrams. That's how much I loved it. <laughs> so I, I just felt I was carrying around my files and I felt grown up. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't get enough of it. I absolutely loved it. That's, that's great. I mean, I expect many teachers wish they'd had more pupils of that, that mindset on, on secondary school or certainly going forward. But I know you said that that arrival at secondary school is often quite something, isn't it? And, and you know, again, were there teachers there then that you remember well yeah. in certain lessons? I mean, most of my teachers, you know, were really good. Um, although she didn't teach me for a couple of years to, uh, till later, Mrs. Anne Kerman who was my English teacher. And I know a lot of people spoke fondly. She died, um, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, with leukemia, sadly. But she was just one of those super enthusiastic, um, engaging teachers. Um, there was something of the air of a sort of um, young Juliet Stevenson about her. Mm. And um, I remember because she had a daughter who was going out with the head boy of King's College School, which is the boys' school up the hill where my brother went. So, you know, there was said that even their children were somehow golden dressed. <laughs> um, but she just, you know, she taught me for Oxbridge entrance um, later. And we actually kept in touch for a bit. So when I, when I was a BBC correspondent in LA, I remember I used to write to her about the OJ Simpson case. Mm. And, and I think she was just thrilled um, that I had, I had gone on to do what I wanted. And she just showed that passion in us about, you know, really great books. So we studied Hamlet with her for A-level, which is a great play for a teenager mm. anyway. Um, but she took us to see a production with John Dottine at the Sybil Thorndike Theatre in Leatherhead. You know, and again, I took us to the theatre and after our Oxbridge exams, she took the whole, there was about four of us doing English. You know, it's a treat she took us, she and her husband took us to the theatre. Her husband, I think, was a maths teacher at King's. And they took us to see a restoration comedy at the National Theatre. And that was the first time I'd been to the National Theatre. Mm. And, you know, I loved it. It's, you know, again, you think about these buildings, they're all quite new. So in, yes. you know, 80, 85, I guess, you know, it's about 15 years old. Um, and so I was suddenly seeing all these cultural landmarks in London that were sort of there for the people. Mm. You know, I'm not saying that tickets are super cheap or were super cheap, but, I, you know, you had the sense that anyone could buy a ticket to go and see this play. Yeah. Um, and... And so she really opened up the idea of going to the theatre for pleasure. Otherwise, I did not. Even though I loved English literature, I'd never been to the theatre really, except for mm. Panto. Yes. So she made all that possible. And yeah. then, um, you know, I had two very good history teachers, Miss, Mrs. Wilson and Miss Charlton. Miss Charlton was older. She also taught me for economics. I did economics O-level um, mm. as an extra. Um, and there's just no nonsense, you know. Um, we studied Tudor culture with her, Elizabethan culture in particular, and she just brought it alive. And Mrs. Wilson was just a very kind person. We studied, I think everyone still does it, 1918 to sort of present day, mm. um, you know, Europe, sort of from the Treaty of Versailles through the Second World War and SALT too, and all that. Um, and so she was, she gave me kind of a whole grounding of 20th century history. But I always remember she once brought out the fact that she didn't sing I Vow to Thee My Country in school assembly when it was played because of the line, um, the love that does not question. And she said, I don't believe in taking, you know, you, you have to ask. You know, she didn't make a big thing of it, but she just said that because of that line. Mm. And she didn't, you know, she didn't boast. And I just thought little things like that. You thought, oh, all these really interesting teachers I had with, with you know, integrity and ethics. And they yes. would just, where relevant, raise it, but never make a thing of it. Yes, yeah, so that's an interesting, wasn't it? And there's a lot these days, obviously, written and said about teachers and, and politics in the classroom and so forth. But something like that, like you say, just a sort of subtle sort of, well, I think this, and like for for a young mind that's inquiring and in, it, picking things up, that again, that's quite powerful, isn't it? You don't have to sort of be overt with something; you can just say something in passing. But if you if you're reading sort of there, mm -hmm. people like yourself will sort of think, 
Oh, right, I see. And just sets off a train of thought almost. Yeah. And then Frau Harris, my German teacher for A-level as well, brilliant, mm. um, gave me lots of, um, I was writing a piece a few years later for something. She sent me a load of information. Um, but, you know, I thanks to her, I did well. I mean, I really loved German. I discovered I was good at it. I had no idea I would be, but I found it very easy and logical, much easier mm. than French. I ended up doing A-level. I ended up working in, in Berlin for German television, thanks to, thanks to her. Yeah. So, you know. And did she know that you went on to do that? I'm not sure, actually, by then, because she had retired. Um, so, no, she might not have done. Mm. But um, if she'd been on holiday somewhere and flicked across Deutsche Welle in English, she might have <laughs> 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 suddenly realise that that A-level came in handy. Yeah, that would be quite the shock, wouldn't it, seeing one of your former pupils <laughs> on television? Yeah. And, oh, well, I should mention Miss Thick as well, because it was, again, my RE teacher, who I kept in touch with. I actually went back to school and did, you know, the odd class with her. Um, because again, you know, she taught me taught five major world religions for O level, and it was such a great grounding. I mm. I just still, I mean, I was on an RE council for um, for that. For, we came up with wrote a whole report. We spent two years researching, writing a report about how education should work for RE. And I thought, you know, you could do no better than the experience I had with her, where you learned about major world religions and you know what they had in common and what were their belief systems. So you just understand people. Mm. And again, she just, I think it came up in passing because we also studied certain gospels. And she said the only thing she didn't like about the life of Brian, and this would have been three years after that film came out, so it was very current. She said the only thing I objected to was the way that, you know, crucifixion, where they're all singing because crucifixion is this horrific way to die. Mm. So, and I thought that was a really fair observation. I mean, I know it's a comedy, yeah. but, you know, crucifixion is a really horrible way to die. Yes. It's very, very long and painful. Yes. And that was, and again, she just said it by the by and made no big thing of it. And yeah. I remembered it. Yeah, no, I mean, these, these teachers all sound fascinating, like individuals, both as teachers, but also as, as people and like how they were able to, to walk One up. of my physics teachers, um, I, I've, I actually got back in touch with, even though I dropped physics because I was terrified. Only subject I dropped. I loved mm. it. But I when it came to doing an exam, all the lovely equations, I, I just did terribly. I thought I'm going to fail this, so I just dropped it. Um, but Mr. Yee was a brand new kind of, you know, trainee teacher and he joined Wimbledon High around the time that I was dropping it. And he's still teaching. Admittedly, sort of, I think he's doing it sort of in retirement. And he, he taught my daughter mm. at another GDST school. And I just thought... That was so weird and magical. Yeah. To have your own child taught by your same teacher. And is she is she adapted to physics, taking to physics better than yourself, do you know? Or? Well, she she managed to do it at GCSE, which is more than I did. Right. Um, but she's not a scientist, sadly, no. any more than I am. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that, that does all sound great. And again, like on, 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 a, on like more extracurricular things, again, were there trips or did you, you, know, did you get on sport or oh, any yeah. other so plays? The, um, Plays I did in junior school, and I love that. Um, in fact, I was talking to someone about the book Ballet Shoes, and I realised one of the things about being in the school play was it was like Ballet Shoes come to life with adults making all the sets and the lighting. It was really, parents had a lot more time mm. to be involved in student, in your school things. They did everything. They built everything and made costumes from scratch. That was all for junior school thing. In senior school, I did experiment with dance club. We had a very modern dance teacher called Mrs. Squires, who was quite, she was quite wild. Mm. Um, and so we did, I, I did very expressive Kate Bush style dance movements. Right. Yes. It lasted a couple of terms, then I realised there wasn't much more to it for me. Um, debating, school debating I got into. Mm. And we did that with the local boys school at King's. And it was really important. And I, the friends I made through that, and we did one play, we did um, 
the Pirates of Penzance together. And the friends I've met through that, weirdly, are the people I'm still in touch with. Mm. Um, they've been really important to me. We have dinner regularly with our partners. And when I've been, you know, when I've had things like the tribunal, they've been the ones giving me advice because some mm. of them have worked in political PR and stuff for lawyers and things. And yeah. So, yeah, so unexpectedly, the the network of support that came out of school in terms of my adult life was the boys I met through debating and drama. Yeah. That, that that's really um, interesting, is it? Like you say, those and you never quite know how those connections will form and how long they'll last. But like you said, yeah. to, to still be communication now, that's great. Yeah, and it was partly. I mean, we didn't stay in touch from school onwards. It was more that we bumped into each other again at university, and then mm. bumped into each other again in journalism. And then the bonds were already there, so they just you know f- sort of took root properly then. Yes. Um. So and and I really learned something, which I think girls schools now do, which is they teach boys networking. From mm. the word go. So they were all used to networking and supporting each other. And it's a thing that um, alumna networks now operate. Maybe maybe 10 years it's been operating, mm. but probably not quite as long as that. Um, I think my generation of girls, and I've said this, and I've said this when I've gone back to school, is, you know, I think we, were, we thought it was the 70s and the early 80s. We thought, well, the equal pay act's come in, all this stuff's come in. Um, we're all going to be qualified and will be recognized for our ability because mm. we've got all these amazing qualifications and so you might get into the workplace um and attain a certain level but actually there's so much more to it yeah. i'm not saying that we should be taught how to play golf god forbid if i ever have to play golf for any reason <laughs> <laughs> but you know um there was something about not appreciating how the world was still loaded against women's mm. equality and that the girls' schools prepared you to go out and fight, you know, to do well in it, but they didn't, well, they couldn't necessarily help you deal with the fact that the world was still really sexist. Mm. It's, it, I suppose that's the next, you know, you've sort of, you've got to take one thing at the next stage, the next evolution, like say now more into the world of work, and then you start, yeah, like networking is something that I guess boys, men have, have done for so long. It was yeah, natural to I, them, but... But I still don't think it's about that. I mean, I think what was great about school was it's the idea that you could do anything. So the thing about going to an all-girls school was I was surrounded by women doing everything. Mm. Science, you know, being the, the women who were the girls who were really good at sports. I was not a sporty person at all, although I loved the idea of walking around with a hockey stick like I was in a, you know, I needed a blight novel. And there were these boards all around the school hall, which really influenced me, which had the names of all the head girls and all the girls who'd gone to university going back to the, I mean, the school was founded in 1880. So that was that whole generation of women who mm. fought for university places, set up their own colleges, eventually got proper recognition for degrees. And, you know, I'm fascinated by that generation of women. And mm. I guess I felt I was, you know, I was part of that tradition. And they used to read out where everyone got their places in assembly. And I was, you know, we do all school assembly with the six formers around the balcony. So you always had that sense of going up through the school of one day I'll be one of the, the the older girls yeah. and going off into the world of university and all these incredibly glamorous places in you know, a drama at Hull, you know, classics at Cambridge or wherever. I mean, you know, it was just, um, it felt that like you'd been prepared to go out into the world mm. and achieve anything you wanted to. Um, the reality of the world, as I say, was a bit disappointing, but um, I, don't, I don't have any regrets about how they tried to make us just feel you can do everything mm. and anything um, and work. I mean, it's an academic school. Yeah. You know, um, and the dramas, I mean, I did help out backstage. I do remember they did um, uh, The Crucible and I had a huge crush on the girl playing John Proctor. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely huge. And I had to make her rabbit stew and she used to make one more dwarf salad and I used to prepare it for her. So that was, that was, that was was really like a backstage culinary stagehand sort of 
role. Yeah, I needed to move the set and stuff. I did right. maybe volunteer. And I just remember, I remember going out and buying a copy of The Crucible, having watching the rehearsals. I just decided to volunteer and discovering this play. And, mm. and it's an incredible drama and really brilliant performances. Um, yes, the girl I had a crush on was called Camilla. Can't remember her last name. Perhaps it's just as well. Um, but also the other stuff, they would do reviews and there was, and, and the, you know, the Dark Siege recording, they did that song from Sweet Charity, Hey Big mm. Spender. Yeah. I'm not sure, would that be a, an okay thing to do anymore? Like it feels they was, yeah. we didn't think too hard about stuff then. I mean, you did a lot of stuff that would probably be seen to be, hmm, they're playing prostitutes. Is that okay? I don't know. Yes, I know what you mean. I suppose, I suppose back then there was no, even if someone had felt something like that, it was very hard to sort of get that message out, whereas now you can be on Twitter in 10 seconds and tweeting it and you know, it goes viral. On the other and... hand, on the other hand, we didn't have any of this stuff about, oh, it's just sex work. You know, it's so I think there was you you just saw its character you were playing. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. didn't get into the politics of, mm. of it. You know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Still, I know, yeah, an interesting an interesting thought point for the, for the But past, looking back now, future. I didn't blink an eye at the time, but looking yeah. back now and seeing those girls who were 16 dragging the chair along and sitting and like Christine Keeler and Strider yeah. and, you know, spinning their, their string of pearls. I am slightly mortified. <laughs> well, on, on a final question then, which we've sort of touched on, but again, school trips is always a really positive one. You had some great ones for primary. Again, secondary, again, did you go on any trips anywhere sort of like abroad or anything in the UK further afield? Skiing. I love skiing. Mm. Got my first snog. Always memorable. With, with, a, yeah. with an Austrian. With an Austrian called Hubert. Hubert. I snogged him twice, once. Um, um, New Year's Eve, what was it, 84? And then we went back the next year, we bumped to them. Yeah. <laughs> so two snogs. Um, so um, that was memorable. Yeah. And what else? Um, we just did lots of um, stately homes and things. I got slightly obsessed with Hardwick Hall in Derbyshire, although we didn't go there because we studied that building in detail for A-level. But we did go to Knoll House and we went to a lot of, you know, things. But I do think I do think the trips that really um, hit me most was 1980, the, the, the centenary year of the school. Yeah. Um, we all went on trips and some of the girls, the older years, got to go to day trips to Boulogne and stuff. We didn't. But we got to, went to Greenwich and we went round, um, what's the museum? Well, we went to the Cutty Sark and stuff. And that was yeah. quite exciting. Yeah. Um, but the really big thing was they hired a train for, um, to take us. You could charter a train from yeah. British Rail then. And this train arrived at Wimbledon Station. The whole school went to the platform. We got on our own train to take us to London Bridge, I guess it was, where we went yeah. to Bar um, Southwark Cathedral and we had a service of Thanksgiving for the city wow. of the school. And then when we came back and we had uh, a special cake that had green icing because the school logo is an apple. And hot dogs, which is, this is incredibly street food then. Mm. It's very exciting to be allowed hot dogs. Yeah, that does sound um, the, the train like I said it's very Hogwarts isn't it I mean obviously that was before <laughs> Harry Potter but I mean and yeah, it wasn't that far I mean it was only like about what 10 miles but still but, but in London I mean to get a seat oh, wow, that must have been great you know so our, everyone own would like, our own train our own train amazing and I also, know when I go back kids younger kids have it. Oh, tell us about is it true that you had your own train it was really like, yes, <laughs> we did that's brilliant I didn't assume that you, you said the, app, the logo was an apple so that person complaining about you eating an apple didn't know that you were promoting the school Logo, perhaps, exactly. was a good way of selling it. Exactly. But the, the building of the school, because it started in a Victorian house, oh. and then they bought another Victorian house. And although some of them have been demolished now, when I was there, you could see the sixth formers had their own Victorian house, the preps, the juniors, the, like the nursery had their own. And then there were these very modern 60s 
halls and things. And I love that whole set to have the school of grown organically on this site. And there was also a building at the back, which was like a just a house with its garden where they'd put the netball court. There was a photograph of a bomb crater when it got hit in the blitz. But this this house, it was just a house, but inside they had um, pottery, weaving, we did dressmaking, we made our own school uniforms, and um, we did music lessons there. And it had an unheated swimming pool. And I cut my foot open on the nails they used to tie the um, the lane markers during yeah. the school gala. Yeah. And my foot was pouring blood. I had to go to hospital, I had several stitches. Do you know what the, what the first thing the teacher said to me when she saw me sitting with a pool of blood? You were warned about those nails. <laughs> of course, now we're flipping Sue, but in those days, it was just like, oh yeah, health and safety. Well, ah. I'll tell you, I've been, I've been waiting for an excuse to tell this story. It happened to a friend of mine. He was, this is a slightly different story. He was out on a night out. It's a slightly different context, but he was out on a night out and, and a sort of a local uh, nutter hit him around the head with a pint glass <gasps> and, and cut his ear. And he, got, he had to go to oh, A&E and he got it bandaged up. He, he was fine. And he went into school the next day. He was back and had a big bandage around his ear, you know, he was in the queue at lunch, an RPE teacher who was, you know, absolutely stereotypical, you know, quite hard, ruthless PE teacher, just said to him, did you deserve it? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean they're great stories, but I think I'm glad those days are gone. Yeah, even that, like, this was you know. in the 2000s and it seems like you can't say that now. Like, did you deserve to be hit around the head with a pint glass? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, it's very different different times. But that's oh, amazing. You had, to sign, you had to sign a consent form whether you're allowed to smoke. So um, when you went to the sixth form, you know, everything was on paper and you get all these forms your parents sign and, you know, emergency contacts. So one of them was, if your child is 16, they are allowed to smoke on school trips where the teacher allows it, but only with your written consent. Ah, there it yeah, is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different times, isn't it? But getting oh, great. And I, sorry, you remind me, I have to say, I saw Glenda Jackson play Fedra at the Old Vic on a school trip. That was for um, AO level French. Right. It wasn't a very good production. This auditorium was pretty much empty. And I think she was very unhappy. And there was a horse's yeah. head that was made of plastic and it suddenly kind of collapses and then blood pours out of it. And then no. I remember all the girls smoking in the interval. With, <laughs> with permission, of course, yeah. But not me. I didn't smoke. No, good, good. Good to hear. Yeah, a lot of smoking. Again, a lot of guests. Karis Matthews was smoking on the school bus from 11. She was telling me that. And just, yeah, people just smoked no, no, a lot, I did didn't they? None of that. I did none of it. I was very good. Good. Very good at two-shoes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, just just some phenomenal memories here. You seem to have absolutely encyclopedic memory of most of your school. I do. Well, because, you know, it mattered. And also I kept my, one of the assignments Miss Stevenson gave, she gave us all a notebook at 1979. She said, I want you to start keeping a diary. She said, I've kept a diary since I was a girl. And my mother did too. And she told us, you know, my mother's died and I've got all her diaries and I've got to decide what to do with them. And I still keep a diary, Mm. you know, more than 40 years later. So... That's quite something. So you have 40 years worth of of your own diaries following you around. I'm not saying they're all that interesting. I mean, I did my teenage diary for Radio 4 where they were very helpful. Um, But yeah, I do. I try to write most days. Mm. And that's probably partly why I can remember school very well because I reread them for my teenage diary. Um, My handwriting was so nice. (laughs) It still is pretty good. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if you get, if you have good teachers, they can give you, they can, send you off in certain directions to give you good habits and the diary writing I know some people aren't, aren't verbal I can't draw Same. at all but I am very very um, I love writing and expressing myself in words so that became my you know where I found my voice in a sense yeah it's interesting um, I, I literally my wife and I started keeping a diary at the start of 2020 which is a good year in some ways to start keeping yeah. a diary but I find my I, my entries I look because now I, sort of, I look back sometimes randomly and some entries are really mundane literally like had pasta for tea 
watch telly, okay. whatever. And others are really interesting. I'm not, I really, I really sort of explain what happened, how I was feeling. With it. I wonder, some days I just seem to be more, they're more exciting than others. Or... I know, they say it's a habit. That if you just keep, maintain a habit, um, it has, you know, um, that's the key thing. And then within it, there'll be stuff that is of interest and stuff that isn't. But then you're in the dilemma I am, which is I ought to really properly destroy them. I don't want my children to read them. So types. Ah, yeah, that's a good point. Them. What happens if you they fall into the wrong hands at some point? And then so destroying it seems... There was an article in the Observer yesterday. Someone was writing about how she discovered her mother's diary in her in her bedside drawer mm. and was and was sneakily reading it for months, oh, not really? years. Oh. And it influenced her as a writer. And I just felt... Nowhere in the article did it say, sorry, mum. Yeah. I thought it was outrageous. Yeah. I would never read my children's diaries. No, they're actually you know. sacrosanct, aren't they? Like if yeah. someone's committing their own thoughts to, to a hidden, you know, seek their own book. That's, you know, no, that is remarkable. Excellent. Well, I mean, I, I, I keep chatting for, for ages about all these different <laughs> things, but I feel we should probably draw a line under it. But, but thank you so much because it's, again, amazing memories of, of so many different things. And it sounds like, again, a, a, a plethora of teachers that have, clearly influenced you in so many ways, which is yeah. lovely to hear about. No, I was really lucky. And I think, you know, that's why it really matters to get schooling right, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and if a child can be allowed to flourish. And I think so much of it was it's that it's the happenstance, isn't it, of a teacher making an, a casual remark that just hits something in you or being exposed to them, like just volunteering, for you know, to do the props for the school play and suddenly going out and buying an Arthur Miller play mm. and, exp you know, and entering a whole other world. Um, so I, I have... I have Nothing but fond memories about what I learned from school. Um, That's great. And also, it was I knew I was preparing for the real world. It wasn't mm. like I wanted to stay at school forever, but it was quite exciting thinking all this stuff I'm learning. One day I'm going to take it out there. Yes, which is which is nice because sometimes that's a big thing, is it? People say, "Oh, don't, why do I need to know this?" That's a big that's a big problem, isn't it? A lot of kids have that view. Maybe understand with some elements of education, you. But generally, though, to have that view you had is is a yeah. that's very positive, isn't it? Yeah, to just see... like you German teacher showing us Fassbender films. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, really sophisticated stuff. On a little video, we had, a, we had a TV room with a video cassette. You know, all these things had to be measured out so carefully. Yeah. We didn't have easy access. No. And no. Everything was precious, I think. Because yes. everything was analogue. Everything took time to source and access. And and you couldn't just... I think the one of the biggest things is that now, you know, it, and I look at how young people do research. If you're not taught how to research using the internet, you just find random stuff on Wikipedia or wherever. And, you know, you don't, and I have to keep saying, you have to source this stuff. Mm. You know, it's not good enough just to um, find random stuff on the internet and assume it's probably right. Mm. And I, I, my generation were taught how to go and research stuff in, sorry, I know it sounds awful, the old-fashioned say, in books. But, you know, you knew that information could be accurate or inaccurate and you had to find the real thing. And it took time and you had to take care mm. in, um, in sourcing it. And yeah. I think all that, that skill built in the real world has been helpful as my generation navigated um, technology. We had a BBC, you know, BBC Micro. I learned basic coding mm. one computer in the whole school, and we got to the spectrums. All that stuff I got through school. Yeah. So technology, I feel, although it, I'm not saying I don't spend too much time on Twitter, but I feel technology came in gradually, bit by bit, for my generation, and so um, we don't feel that it subsumes us. I think we feel we're looking down on it. Yeah, as soon as the current generation now, I've got everything just, there's, it's all there to deal all at once. I can't imagine life without it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I think that worries me. Mm. Yes, I know. Partly because I think they're being manipulated, not because well, yeah, they, I mean, they, they themselves tried to do anything wrong. Yes, yeah, well, you say, yeah, understanding sources and information and how it's presented and who's presenting it and 
what's their agenda? That's such a massive thing to understand, isn't it, when there's so much of it? And flipping, can I just say, mobile phones and schools and Instagram and all that stuff, like, mm. I never had to worry about that. No. You know, anything horrible that happened, you know, you left it behind when you left school. Now the way it goes into your home, oh, ghastly. No, awful. Well, let's, 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 Sorry. Push all the, those negative final thoughts aside and just, just, yeah, again, thank you so much for the, for the, all your insights on school and the memories and really great stuff. So, um, fascinating to, to chat about and, um, yeah, lovely stuff. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Dan.